So I, I forgot that I found a Jonathan Chait mm-hmm. article today. Uh, so if you don't listen to Chapo, you may not know who Jonathan Chait is. Uh, he's basically a typical highly paid American com, uh, columnist, a big turd who supported the Iraq war and is one of the dumbest people alive. Yeah. Um, so he has some choice takes in here. Uh, the headline is the green new deal is a bad idea, not just a botched rollout. So the other, all the other critiques are like, Oh yeah, I fundamentally agree with the green new deal, but actually, uh, you know, it's just not practical enough. Um, so Chate says here, climate change experts have called for zeroing out emissions in the power sector by 2050. So he actually limits it to just the, the power sector, not even all emissions which is pretty interesting. Well, the Green New Deal... Maybe it's because he's really dumb. He, he is very <laughs> dumb. While the Green New Deal proposes doing so by 2030, on what basis does it maintain that the time frame can be accelerated by two-thirds? It does not say. If my plan for retirement is to have a million dollars in the bank when I'm 70, and then I decide the new plan is to have a million dollars when I'm 50, is that, quote, progress or just empty sloganeering? Cool, man. Pretty cool shit, huh? Yeah. Um... The plan contains too little prescription in areas where it's needed, avoiding any mention of the need to expand nuclear power, increase population density in cities, and cap pollution. So he's basically like going backward several decades in terms of like the best we can do. Yeah. And saying like, it's like, dude, we all fucking know that shit. We're all set on that. We want to do that. But right now, what we really need to do is, uh, I don't know, you might phrase it as a green new deal. Yeah, I think I think that's a fair yeah. thing to call it. Yeah. Um, I'll, I'll circle back to the nuclear power thing later. <laughs> yeah. Uh, we'll, we'll get to that. Um, he's also complaining about the, the thing that all other shit libs are complaining about, is, mm-hmm. which is... Oh yeah, there's a bunch of non-climate policy in here, like universal health care and creating jobs and stuff. So, um, <laughs> he quotes another uh, of Chapo's favorites here, Ross Douthit. Uh, his dark interpretation of uh, the choice uh, for non-climate stuff is uh, that it feeds conservative suspicions that dire warnings of climate change are merely a ruse, seizing opportunistically on the issue to justify, well, hashtag full socialism. He actually uses the symbol for sharp there instead of the actual like hash sign. <laughs> what the fuck? <laughs> the seizure of the economy's commanding heights in order to implement the most left-wing possible agenda. So he's saying like, we need to not have that stuff in there because it'll make conservatives afraid. <laughs> which like in my opinion good they should be yeah, afraid like fuck just leave them all behind <laughs> or or show them the way i don't fucking care anymore i just like make the world better and if they want to join they can have it you know a few years ago naomi klein wrote a book laying out the case for why climate change required a revolutionary attack on global capitalism yeah it was good yeah i didn't i didn't read it but i heard a bunch of stuff about it and it sounded yeah, good to me sounds good her argument, while deeply flawed and frequently self-contradictory, <laughs> anticipates the Green New Deal's ideological character. Klein not only disdained the value of using prices to efficiently allocate the cost of greenhouse gas emissions. Maybe he's the guy who wrote that Economist article. Yeah, right. She celebrated the defeat of the cap-and-trade bill in Congress as a victory for real climate progress against the sinister forces of neoliberalism. 
she, what she's right about. I think cap and trade sucks. Oh, oh yeah, cap and trade. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Sorry, <laughs> for a second I was like, neoliberalism is not good. What? What? what are you, I got. I got turned around. I got turned around. Um, I'm just, I'm just trying to figure out if there's anything else in here worth reading. Mm. Well, I mean, Jonathan Shate, nothing's really worth reading, right? But he's out there, and we have to defeat him. Oh, this is this is a really fucking great thing for him to say here. You may have heard the old joke, we must do something. This is something. Therefore, we must do this. Uh, that's what you're doing, dude. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Jesus Christ. Um, <laughs> yeah, there's not a whole lot other than that. The rest is uh, three ways your dog asks for help. And this one thing will properly flush your <laughs> fucking ventricles or something like that. <laughs> Just like trash articles. Wow. So, um, yeah, so that was, that was Jonathan Chait. Uh, thanks, John. Moron. Thanks, John. Um, so the last thing is from the Trillbillies. They, they did an episode, um, Hell yeah. talking about among other things, the green new deal. Yep. So they had, they had some pretty good points actually. Um, so their points, uh, to extremely summarize, I recommend listening to the episode. Yeah. Just one of their better it. ones, I think. It's always good. Um, everything in it sounds good, but it'll require a fundamental transformation of the entire U.S., and mm-hmm. there's a lot of social pressure in the way. And they're specifically talking about, like, their experiences in rural Kentucky, where, yep. like, even Coal country, just a mild, ta- like, small tax on one thing yep. just th- th- throws people into a foaming rage. Mm-hmm. Um, they also say we can't do it and still have capitalism, which I think is a valid critique of the bill because... You know, they're not the bill doesn't say like we're going to have full communism or anything like that. Right. Um, and um, through the political process, this is something we've already said during this episode. Yeah. Through the political process, there's going to be lots of compromises yeah. to it. In big quotes. Which is exactly why yep. you need to make it, quote, unrealistic. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> because you it'll gotta, be pushed towards, quote, realism. Yeah. There's literally that fucking saying, you know, shoot for the stars and you'll what land or shoot for the moon and you'll land among the stars. Yeah. Something like that. Yeah. Like that's, that's my like favorite poster that was in my shit. high school. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's like old timey shit. Everybody fucking knows this. Like if you want something, go way beyond it and then see what happens. Yeah. It's cool that very serious pundits don't know basic politics. Yeah. Also, like, what's scary is when you apply that in reverse, like, reverse engineer it for reactionaries, you're like, well, what are they asking for? Things like basic slavery and stuff. And you're like, well, what are they really Universal basic slavery. Yeah, universal (laughs) basic slavery. And you're like, well, if that's what they're asking for, what are they, you know, what do they really want? Like, what? (laughs) Holy fucking shit. What they're getting. Yeah, what they're getting (laughs) and what they really want. Yeah, yeah. Um, Okay. Uh, So now we'll go into my analysis and response. Uh, I just have a few points because I didn't probably didn't spend as much time as I should have on the notes. Uh, but you know, what are you going to complain about? <laughs> I, I'm just here for the ride. Well, I wasn't addressing you. I was just, it's the, the Royal <laughs> you. Right, right, right. The Royal y'all. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. The Royal y'all. <laughs> um, so the, the good parts of the bill I would say are attempting to go hundred percent carbon neutral. That's good. Um, including strict language about marginalized groups, uh, which like I did a, um, I generated a word cloud and then grabbed the like frequency of all the words. Mm-hmm. Um, 
Number one, of course, was the United States, States. 26 times. USA. Um, economic, number four. Um, and then uh, down in the not super high, but very high mm-hmm. frequency, vulnerable and frontline, which is referring to like marginalized groups, mentioned eight times in the text of a bill that's only six pages mm-hmm. in a Google Doc. Mm-hmm. So that's pretty good. Um, yeah, so they, they make very explicit mention a lot of uh, marginalized groups. Um, another thing I really liked is they include, uh, quote, low-tech solutions, which, like, that is a buzzword I never thought I would see in a a, a congressional bill, right? <laughs> for sure. Um, if you've never seen the blog Low Tech Magazine, go check it out. It's really fucking cool. Hmm. That was one of the things that, like, completely changed my worldview from being, like, a, a high-tech... Uh, zeitgeist movement like mm-hmm. technocrat guy to mm-hmm. being like uh maybe primitivism isn't the dumbest idea ever i don't think we should you know stop having insulin but <laughs> right um, right right maybe being in an agrarian society wouldn't be so bad um right. yeah um and uh the low-tech solutions that uh that they're talking about are basically implying like restoration agriculture which is really good shit mm-hmm. um another very good book restoration agriculture by mark shepherd uh which i've been wanting to do an episode on for a long time but i mm-hmm. uh, just haven't gotten to it yet mm-hmm. and uh the last good thing is no stupid bullshit about taxes <laughs> right. um which uh. like i'm surprised in all the responses that i looked at um none of them mentioned that because like that's what most of the shit libs on Twitter mm-hmm. were talking about was mm-hmm. like, Oh wow. We're just going to accept MMT as real now. Are we like, you're like, yeah, yes, because it's, the it's best. called chartalism. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and because it's correct. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like if you look at literally any aspect of reality that includes how money is created, mm-hmm. you know, modern reality or mm-hmm. his- historical reality mm-hmm. or historical political economic theory, that it all supports mmt yeah yeah. mmt just adds like oh yeah now we have central banks (laughs) yeah exactly yeah that's the only difference really it's it's slightly less controversial than um copernicus's theory that the earth revolves around the sun (laughs) (laughs) and they're like no the sun revolves around the earth we know this because the sun goes up and down and they're like you need to maybe like take some measurements (laughs) yeah and then you'll find that the earth is flat, actually, too. Yep, yep, super so, flat. Um, so I would say the bad parts of it are, um, one, that it's non-binding, right. which as uh, we one said. of those articles already mm-hmm, mentioned. Mm-hmm. Uh, two, it's only a 10-year plan. As opposed to like an infinite plan. Yeah. yeah. Or at least, be a at least a 30-year plan. plan. I think it should at least be a 30-year plan. Yeah. Because... 3,000-year uh, plan. I mean, the emissions part, yes, aim for 2030. Sure, But yeah. then say like... Just for fun. All of the rest of the shit, 30 years... Because and and if it's binding, then if we if we don't reduce emissions by 100 percent by 2030, we're mm-hmm. still on the hook for it. Mm-hmm. That's yeah, the thing that we that's, want. That's and there's still gonna be all those fucking jobs which we want. Yeah, at least until we have full communism. Right. Exactly. Exactly. Um, and then the last thing is it seems to keep a lot of the implementation public or private rather than public. So like mm-hmm. um, a lot of the stuff is like uh, let me scroll up real quick. Yeah, making public investments in the research and development of new clean and renewable energy technologies and industries, uh, directing investments to spur economic development. And so, like, to me, investment means that they're going to take public money and put it into uh, private organizations mm-hmm. to do that stuff, which mm-hmm. I I personally think that they should create 
government bodies with public oversight and some sort of uh, some sort of democratic control mm-hmm. and just do stuff instead of like I mean you you can uh, contract some stuff out I guess but like yeah it shouldn't just be like oh we're going to invest in stuff like put out RFPs for stuff right exactly exactly hire workers make the workers do things right train them to do things mm-hmm. and all mm-hmm. that kind of shit yeah um yeah okay so um so on the on the subject of nuclear Okay. Uh, this policy is being criticized by shitlibs for uh, both not being internationalist enough, not being politically expedient enough, not being financially responsible enough, and not mentioning nuclear energy enough. So, uh, if you haven't like realized the contradiction there, uh, <laughs> the last point undermines the other three because nuclear energy is not internationalist. Right. Just look at Iran trying to have nuclear reactors. It's not politically expedient because there's major public pressure against nuclear power. And that comes from like the environmental movement. So it's not just like think tanks. It's like actual people that don't want nuclear and not financially responsible because nuclear requires massive subsidies, both to commission and to decommission the reactors. Because like, here's the thing with, with nuclear reactors, like they have a, a service lifespan and then when you get to the end of it, mm-hmm. the company that runs it is like, uh, uh, oops, we Blur. ran out of money to yeah. shut down the reactor. Yeah. Uh, help, I guess. <laughs> anyway, bye. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, Speaks to private property once again. Yeah. Yeah, yeah and, and just like completely disingenuous things. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Like their real thing, I think, is... They just want to be the very serious person. Right. And nuclear is what a very nuclear? serious technology. Yeah. yeah. Um, so they, they want that. And then they also don't want to give up the uh, infinite growth aspect. Oh, yeah. God. That we damn. have. Yeah. That's, I think that's the like, real impetus behind saying that we need to have nuclear, which is yeah, like yeah. nuclear has a very high uh, energy return on energy invested, mm-hmm, which is like mm-hmm. the ratio of um, energy that you get out mm-hmm. from per unit of energy that you put in yep and solar and wind like wind has a it's like 14 uh well it's a dimensionless number it's like 14 units of energy per unit of energy that you put in solar is only (laughs) like five nuclear is like like 50 or something like that it's like gasoline of course is like 500 insanity it's like yeah yeah, yeah, it's a crazy amount but of course that that measurement doesn't account for like the amount of solar energy that went into producing right. all that shit. Yeah. Yeah. And the amount of like gra- uh, gravitational energy that went into like putting all the pressure on this stuff to turn it into oil. Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. anyway, mm-hmm. Um, I would say the biggest obstacle to the green new deal uh, is that U S geopolitics and political economy is intimately tied together with oil. Yep. Um, so this, there's some stuff that people may not think of. Like, of course our transportation infrastructure is based on private automobiles that's a right. huge obstacle. Right. Um, People love but, their fucking cars. Yeah. Uh, but the bill does mention trains mm-hmm. um, possibly multiple times. I don't, I don't remember. Yeah. Um, but other like uh, less obvious things. Um, U.S. military superiority is 100% dependent on oil. Mm-hmm. Uh, we don't have a large standing army. So the primary asset of the U.S. military is its air force, which will not work at all without kerosene, which mm-hmm. you need oil for. Mm-hmm. Um, 
our weapon exports, which is a huge export industry in the U.S., is funded right. by Saudi oil sales. Hmm. Um, our supremacy in global trade mm-hmm. is thanks to the Bretton Woods Agreement yep. that forces industrialized countries to do business with the U.S. in order to get dollars that they need to buy oil. Yep. Um, do you think I should explain that in more detail? Google the Bretton Woods Agreement. There we go. Well, like also <laughs> like how, how that works. Like basically like since other countries can't issue U.S. dollars. Right. Th- this is MMT stuff right, that right, I'm getting right, into. Right, right, right. Since other countries can't issue U.S. dollars mm-hmm. and there's a, tr- a treaty. I think it's a treaty uh, requiring all oil sales to be conducted in U.S. dollars. Agreement. Yeah. Agreements. Yeah. Uh, Lots of kinds of agreements, but this is one is just an agreement. Right. Yeah. And so the way that you get U.S. dollars, if you're a country that can't issue them, yep. is to trade with the U.S. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And that means uh, trading with U.S. businesses, so importing stuff from the U.S. Yep. So that you can, or sorry, exporting stuff to the U.S. Right. So that you can get dollars and then that you could spend them on oil. Um, so that, that really helps with U.S. trade supremacy. Um, another thing, uh, imports to the U.S. are dependent on fossil fuels to increase uh, the speed and power of cargo ships and mm-hmm. to ignore ocean currents. Yep, yep. Because um, that's, that's one thing with like colonial era trade versus mo- industrial era trade is yeah. during the colonial era, trade took a very long time right? because they there all were, had sailing ships. Exactly. So you need to... Follow the wind. It was winds. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. exactly. Mm-hmm. Um, and then uh, there are 10 million oil and gas jobs in the U.S. And most of the people in that industry are death cultists. Yeah. As our friend Soy Boy would affirm. <laughs> yeah, basically. They just they have no care or idea. Yeah. 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 Um, another thing I would say is, uh, although the bill mentions low-tech solutions with respect to agriculture, mm-hmm. uh, it does the opposite with transportation. Mm-hmm. Uh, specifically mentioning a high-speed rail. Um, so it's not clear what that's referring to because in the U.S., um, high-speed rail is kind of an ambiguous term. So like, when most people think of high-speed rail, they think of like Japanese bullet trains. Right. Um, but uh, I just found this out today. Um, rail speeds were actually way in excess of 100 miles an hour in the 1930s. But um, after a train crash... Uh, that killed 45 people happened in uh, 1945, I think. Um, Congress limited the speed of trains to 79 miles per hour in 1946 mm-hmm. under pressure mm-hmm. from the automobile, highway, and trucking industries. Of course. Which, you know, I'm sure there was no conflict of interest there. Right. <laughs> they were just like, oh, 45 for people, people safety, died. Yeah. And which how, is, many, how many automobile deaths have happened since that year? Oh, I don't know. Thousands, <laughs> maybe millions. Yeah. Well, we actually have the number right here. Oh, we have the numbers uh, right here. From 2000 Perfect. to 2009, there were 300,000 Holy fucking shit. fatalities from That's driving in a passenger. Years. Uh, dri- for, from driving or being a passenger in a car or truck. Nine years. Yeah. 300,000 fatalities. Yeah. That's like a crazy... That's, that is... Um, that's a lot. How many 9-11s is people. that? I was just going to say, well, that's, um, that's 100. 1,500? That's 100 9-11s, <laughs> uh, as I recall. And, yeah. And I really want to just like get into the numbers here. Um, um, so just to compare real quick, passenger on urban mass transit rail, 33 fatalities. Mm-hmm. Um, passenger on commuter rail and Amtrak, 70 fatalities. And so uh, the rate per billion passenger miles... Mm-hmm. Uh, motorcycles, which is of course the most dangerous, two hundred twelve 
fatalities per billion passenger miles. Mm-hmm. Uh, for cars, 7.28. Uh, for trains, uh, commuter rail, 0.43. And for urban mass transit, 0.24. So, like, trains are infinitely safer than cars. Yeah. Did you calculate the 9-11s ratio? Oh, no, I didn't have to. But but I, I, I looked up the Bosnian genocide. Okay. Which took place over roughly four or five days, I suppose. And um, they lost... 8,372 people um, in roughly a week, which is awful. It's awful. Um, But in nine years, we lost a third of a million people to quote-unquote accidents. Yeah. Which to me is just industrial negligence. Yeah. Combined with like chance. Yeah. I mean, the the automobile transportation system is, is a horrific atrocity i think fucking ridiculous and if there's anyone alive that's responsible for creating that system they should be thrown into darvaza gas crater yeah yeah i think exactly (laughs) yeah there was somebody that i knew um uh this girl this girl rachel uh that i knew from rural michigan and several years ago rachel uh, carson (laughs) no (laughs) no she she and her she and her mother were driving down just like a random country road and there was a uh, like a hit and run that spun their car out, uh-huh. and Rachel like got just like fucking like uh, demolished basically, and yeah. just bled out right there. And her mother just had to watch her fucking die. And that's and terrible. you're and you're like that's in America that's normal. Yeah, right. Like in most other countries, if not all other countries, like that's an atrocity. Yeah, and here that's just part of life and death, and that's just part of the cycle. Um, I have a friend who died in a, a street racing accident. Yeah. Yeah. Which we like, know that's people who literally died impossible in to do in, on a train. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and in the past, in the past, you know, it was like, yeah, you know, maybe somebody like one person got trampled by a horse. Maybe one person fell out of their fucking vehicle. Yeah. You know, and now it's a, uh, what, a third of a million every decade. Yeah. Which is honestly fucking barbaric. Here's here's so. another thing that will interest the, the kiddos that are listening to our podcast. Mm-hmm. Uh, one of the great things about trains is you can be really fucking drunk on them and not die. Yeah. You're not <laughs> driving that shit. You can do whatever the fuck you want. Even if the operator yeah, is you drunk, can, you probably still won't die. <laughs> right, right. You can you can eat in one car, you can fuck in the bathroom. <laughs> You know, you can, you can sit there reading the whole fucking time. Yeah. You can have conversation with like a hundred different people. I think like, uh, since I graduated high school, Mm -hmm. probably upwards of 80% of the books that I've read have been on a train and I live in the suburbs. Yeah. So I never, ever take the train. (laughs) Right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so anyway, uh, another uh, like a problem with with like true high speed rail, like the bullet trains, mm-hmm. is uh, that it's very expensive compared to ordinary rail. Which like I highly support regular right. low speed trains, right. or even just like you know those 1930s era trains. That'd be fine with me. Mm-hmm. Um, even for Japan's world class high speed rail system, which by the way, zero fatalities in 50 years. Yeah, zero. That's um, a lot better than. A third of a million in nine or ten years. Yes. Yeah. And even seventy in nine years. Yeah. Um. So, in Japan, the cheapest rail pass is um fifty nine thousand yen for a twenty one mm-hmm. day pass. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So that's if you can pay a lot of money up front. Yeah. Then you get that pass. Yeah. And if and then you're just set. If you're poor, you probably you're have safe. to get 
like a day pass or a seven day pass. Right. And uh, so the average annual income in Japan is about 5 million yen. Uh, so that would make the cost of transportation there 20% of the average income. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, but on the other hand, Americans already pay 20% of their income for transportation, hmm. uh, which that's based on $11,403 per year mm-hmm. out of 59,000 annual income. Mm-hmm. So maybe, maybe not so bad. Yeah. But imagine if we did regular rail and didn't pay 20% of our income to transportation. How amazing oh would that be? God. Or like if, I don't know, we just made the high-speed rail standard. Yeah. And just subsidized that with, I don't know, whatever the fuck else we felt like. The money that it's the government It's all variable print. and we can do all of it. Yeah. <laughs> we could just choose to do it. Another thing that was interesting was like uh, when I was trying to find the cost of high-speed rail in, in Japan... Mm-hmm. Uh, most of the articles that I found were about how high-speed rail is great and we should do it because uh, it tackled the problem of real estate prices. Mm-hmm. So, like, housing costs in Japan are, like, relatively low mm-hmm. because you can live, like, three cities over from where you work mm-hmm. yeah, and then commute on the high-speed like, rail. <laughs> yep. Which, yep. like... um. You can okay. commute three cities over and you can drink any fucking where. But that sounds like it yeah. sucks. So like, <laughs> well, uh, why don't you just have rent control instead, you assholes? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, okay, so now we come to the anime section. Dun, dun, dun. Uh, because it's very related. Dun, dun, dun. Uh, so today we're talking about uh, two of the greatest anime yes. works of all time. Of all time. Princess Mononoke mm-hmm. and Nausicaa of the Valley of the Wind. Yes. Um, so if you somehow have not seen Princess Mononoke, it's a movie by Hayao Miyazaki mm-hmm. about a man who gets a lethal curse uh, mm-hmm. from a forest spirit and tries mm-hmm. to cure it, uh, getting in the middle of a conflict between an ancient forest lord and an industrial village run by the Japanese version of white feminists. Pretty much. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So uh, one of the first things I noticed, I've watched this movie a million times, but um, Same. I, I didn't notice this before. Uh, one thing I thought was really interesting is that the main character is actually from an extinct Honshu ethnic group called mm-hmm. the Emishi. Mm-hmm. Um, so according to the history that Miyazaki is using, uh, the Emishi were the indigenous people of Honshu, like the original inhabitants of Japan. Yep. And they were wiped out by the Yamato, which is the current dominant ethnic group in Japan, Yep. Uh, by the 8th century. Um, I'm not going to say C. That's stupid. Um, so, uh, <laughs> yeah. A- Ashitaka is his name, right? Yep. Ashitaka. Yeah. Ashitaka's yep. village is one of the last surviving Emishi settlements. Mm-hmm. And the movie takes place in the 16th century. So, yeah. like, yeah, they're really so holding out there. Yeah. There's, yeah, exactly. They're just like on the, on the ass end of the rope there. Yeah. Like, we're the last fucking ones. Yeah. That famous part of the rope, the ass end. The ass end of the <laughs> rope. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, well, and it was like, there was a, there was a really key moment where, um, I mean, this movie is, um, at the very beginning, it's about basically the extinction of the Emishi. Yeah. Where, because the Emishi were people who knew how to live with the environment. Yes. Right. And, and, and Miyazaki was kind of like recognizing like, oh, the Yamato, which is like his people, right? The yeah. Japanese people, as we understand it, um, they wiped out the indigenous, uh, uh tribes and clans, yeah. including the Emishi. And the Ainu. And the Ainu, exactly. Yeah. Which so- were like... The other theory related, yeah. yeah the other yeah. theory with the Emishi is that they're actually not distinct from the Ainu, right. but Miyazaki is treating them as being actually distinct. Right, group. they kind of get their own thing. Yeah, yeah. And so the beginning of the movie with with Ashitaka, um, 
really highlights that because of the curse of the conflict between nature and quote unquote Civ, uh-huh. um, where the Emishi were comfortable living in the balance, yeah, right. Then Civ corrupted nature, made it rage and uh, and want to destroy Civ. Yeah. Then Ashitaka had to kind of be the um, like the medium or the intermediary between those two forces, and so when he left his village. Um, because he was like this prince, uh, he like cut his top. Yeah, he's knot. Prince Mononoke. Yeah, yeah, right, right, right. Yeah, exactly. And it, it kind of seriously, but um, he, so he cut his top knot before he left, which was kind of a symbol of like he relinquished his nobility. Oh, I missed that part. Okay. Yeah, yeah. And so um, he was doing that, and everybody was like gasping and like, "Oh my fucking god!" Because he was kind of the the last. Um, the, the last royal basically. yeah the last royal of yeah. their of their group and so like once he left they had no kind of like civilizational dignity left yeah they were just kind of like a band right right as opposed to like a society uh, yeah right yeah yeah and so then he left to do his thing and he knew what he's doing he was like i this is it yeah right like this i this mean he's gonna wound, die exactly otherwise. this wound this curse signifies yeah. our extinction and so i have to leave and i have to do what i have to do but like you guys are gonna have to figure out your own story yeah right? um so then he leaves and he goes west which is sort of southwest in japan oh and one more thing about leaving mm-hmm. his village there's mm-hmm. um i don't know if they i was i was like three quarters paying attention to the movie mm-hmm. this time mm-hmm. but um there was actually like a, a girl that looked like was going to be the person he was going to marry that was right. in the village. And he, yeah, and he she ran like, up to him. Her. Yeah, exactly. As he was she leaving. She did give him something, I think, um, yeah. to remember her. Oh, his his knife. That's right. Yeah, yep. his yeah knife. it was an obsidian knife. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. And and so it was like... And, and knives are interesting, especially uh, in these contexts, because knives are tools and weapons. Yeah. Right? Um it's sort of a it was like halfway between a knife and a sword yeah exactly which like, i wonder if that could symbolize like him losing his virginity or whatever right kind of thing right yeah yeah it's it's got lots to do with lots of different aspects of like human existence especially when you're looking at like male characters yeah you know with fucking blades and shit because you know it's just classic swords or penises right swords or penises and like you know doorways are, Ties are also and, penises right right if you if you fall into quicksand that's a vagina you know? <laughs> okay sure why not i, I never guess. thought of that one <laughs> yeah right yeah i mean <laughs> I've, I've had some weird dates um yeah <laughs> but were they in quicksand uh, no but they just wanted to talk about how like every everything that's shaped like a loop is a vagina and you're like look i get the feminist critique but like come on you know like is my cup oh, so of- my shoelaces are a vagina right, now right, right. My, my shoe yeah my, my cup you know they're like sauron's eye is a vagina i was like that's fucking if you, ridiculous. if you wear velcro shoes that means you're gay <laughs> right yeah <laughs> <laughs> You're afraid to have pussies on your shoes. Right. You can't have it. Means you're gay, dude. You can't do it. (laughs) (laughs) Dude, you're wearing slip-ons? That's gay, man. (laughs) (laughs) Or is it? But yeah. Flip-flops, on the other hand, not gay. No. No, That's that's something else entirely. (laughs) Um, Yeah, so so he, you know, Ashitaka, like, cuts off his top knot, you know, abandons his people in a a way. Um, But it's because they understand the um, kind of human nature, sort of civilization nature balance and how it needs to be maintained and understood. And so that's kind of what brings him into the West 
and again, the Southwest. In a way, in, it's kind of a self-sacrifice for him Absolutely. to preserve his village. Absolutely. Yeah. Exactly. He's leaving because they have to be saved. Yeah. And he knows that by leaving, he diminishes their status and their power. Um, especially given like what they've been through as like, they're just hanging on. You know? Yeah. They're they're like the Yamato is just like hammering on them. And, yeah. Nobody and, knows they exist in the story. Yeah. Cause yeah, um, they're, just they're, they're the stuff there. of legends. Exactly. Like, uh, is it Jiro? I think is his name. Yep. He like literally says like, Oh like, wow. Just like the ancient gone. stories. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. You're, you're, you're still around. It's like, well, kind of not anymore, you yeah. know, because some fucking boar with a bullet in his side yeah. ran up and cursed me. Yeah. <laughs> like shit. Oh, so. and, uh, one more thing about like mm-hmm. their connection to nature is, um, and, and the extinction thing mm-hmm, mm-hmm. is, uh, Ashitaka rides a red, a red deer. Yep which is an ancient Japanese uh, deer that's yep. now extinct. Yep. Yep. So yeah, no, that's a great, it's a fictionalized a great version note. of it, but still exactly. Yeah. yeah. It's, it's one of those things where it's like, you know, they're, they're part of, you know, very deep history. Yeah. And, and, and this, by the way, Yakul kicks ass dude. Right. Holy shit. What a great mount. Like, yeah. Yeah, he's so fucking agile. Yeah, just like, he oh, rules. let me help you out, buddy. And <laughs> yeah. like, just like does crazy shit. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, so this this story is like it's interesting how the story begins with basically what you would consider an extinction event. You yeah, know? Um, where they're like, oh yeah, I mean that's all we can do. That's it. Yeah, that's it for us. Oh, and the pacing is very fast as well. Like yeah. it jumps right like, into the bam, story. Bam, bam, yeah. bam. Yeah. So, yeah. So so Ashtaka like runs off uh, southwest uh, from where they're living and surviving, and I mean he's it for for what they at that time considered to be kind of like the, the core of their, I guess, identity. Yeah. You know, like they would have to basically reformat their entire society to survive at that point. Yeah. Because he's gone now yeah. and he's cursed and, and there's the feudal system left. has no more legitimacy. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. And, yeah. That, and that's a, and that's a good way to put it. So yeah. After that. Um, so I just have like some random points on here. Yeah. Um, so, the, so he runs into this ironworks. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. So like the, the, uh, the major antagonist is is this ironworks. It's like a industrial village, basically. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And um, so one one thing that I noticed was uh like a political economy aspect is uh the uh Eboshi, the mm-hmm. woman who's in charge of the ironworks village, yep. says a lot of people want our iron, and she includes uh the samurai. Mm-hmm. Um, which is the Yamato encroachers yeah the collective yeah. The warrior of, class of japan yep um and uh the wolf princess mm-hmm. um but uh she's supplying someone like they're not just making it for themselves they are making right. like weapons for themselves but yeah they're exporting a ton of iron so like i've i was wondering like who else would be using large amounts of iron and guns in the 16th century mm-hmm. since the meiji restoration wasn't until the late 19th century so like Japanese government wasn't using guns. The warrior class wasn't using guns. There were some battles where they had riflemen, but they were pretty few and far between, I think. Right. So so this is where like history gets interesting because in um in Japan and in Europe, right, like by the sixteenth century, um both of these regions were using gunpowder weapons. Uh just not uh as their primary mode of combat or or whatever you might call it yeah um so 
I added a comment here where I say, if I recall correctly, gunpowder use was already becoming a thing in Imperial Japan, and it was def- definitely being be- yeah, back, 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 backing up. It was definitely being used to its fullest possible extent by the time of the Sengoku Jidai, which is the Warring States period of Japan, mm-hmm. where you know there was all these different clans fighting, and then finally Nobunaga uh, uh, won, and then it turned into um, eventually the Tokugawa period. So, yeah, I think, I think the anti-Nobunaga forces used gunpowder weapons. Yeah, everybody basically yeah. was using it as um, if they could. Yeah, and then there was, um, there was one battle where there was like a significant use of riflemen and it kind of devastated the, the opposing side. Yeah. They were trying to, I think they were trying to do cavalry charges and they got f- basically fucked by yeah, I can't the remember. Riflemen. I can't remember if that was Sekigahara, which is like the bloodiest per capita battle in history, or wow, really? if it was something else. Yeah, yeah, Sekigahara was astounding. Like, if you just read up, Sekigahara has its own fucking Wikipedia article, yeah. just like a lot of, like, you know, it's like Bloody Angle or Gettysburg. Yeah. But it's like Gettysburg with fucking samurai, where they're like cutting each other's stomachs open and shit, yeah. and you're like, oh, Jesus Christ, you know, like, <laughs> like oh my God, you know. Um, yeah, it's been a while since I played Samurai Warriors, so I'm not, yeah, not yeah, familiar Sekigahara with my famous history. <laughs> in, in, yeah, it's 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 astounding. But we we probably mentioned it incidentally in our the first episode of season three, the Sengoku yep. episode. We probably mentioned it once. Yeah, I'm guessing. So check that one out um, if you haven't listened to it already. Yeah, yeah. So Sekigahara was was significant. Um, so as far as like gunpowder in this era of Japan, the the sort of 15th through 16th century, the Kurosawa film Kagemusha, which is, which translate roughly to Shadow Warrior or or like body double, demonstrates the battlefield of use Shadow of, Clone. Yeah, basically, right? <laughs> yeah. You're like, eh. <laughs> Demonstrates the battlefield use of muskets bought from or via the Portuguese uh-huh. um, because there was a regional trade that the Europeans had begun inserting themselves into, which is kind of how they ended up there um, because they knew that like Japan and China and these other areas of Asia wanted to trade. They had demands, they had interests, but they didn't want to break their kind of autarky or their like border security or whatever the yeah. fuck they had at the time. Eboshi so, does mention Chinese guns because she says yeah. they're too heavy and that's why right. they're making their own. Yeah. So they definitely were importing some Chinese guns, at least in right. the context of the movie. They had exposure to it. They knew what yeah. it was like. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And so um, the European traders, mostly Portuguese at that time, I think, maybe some Dutch, maybe maybe a few English, um, were then also uh, potentially trading in, in guns and gunpowder and similar technology with the Japanese. But Japanese feudal regimes were always concerned with uh, self-containment, uh, autarky, and having total control over their like their lands, their islands, and so it would make sense both in this context of this story, but also just historically, that they would prefer like a domestic source for things like gunpowder and really anything else that was rare or dangerous, um, because it was you know if they had domestic control over it, then they could have more power over it and right. therefore more power to um deploy against their, their their rivals and stuff you know so yeah that was just a little aside um so uh i just looked this up because i remembered reading it i i thought this was pretty interesting on the subject mm-hmm. of the guns um the guns that are used in the movie are called uh ishibia okay which translates to stone fire arrow Nice. It's basically old Japanese for hand cannon. <laughs> nice. Um, and it says firearms were first introduced to Japan by the Portuguese in 1543. Aha. Uh-huh. So a little bit after they were colonizing 
uh, the New World, or the Americas, rather. Right. Um, and, uh, yeah, they, there are some speculations that hand cannons were imported from China before 1543, so possibly mm-hmm. not from the Portuguese. Mm-hmm. I'm going to go with that theory because white people are stupid. <laughs> <laughs> right. Um, but, yeah, I, I'm thinking that maybe in the movie she's, like, uh, possibly, since it's not going to the emperor and it's not going to obviously the wolf princess right um maybe uh maybe they're exporting to china maybe they're exporting to the portuguese right but either way they're supplying a ton of iron to a lot of people and it's supposed yeah. to be high quality iron that's like one of the things in the yeah. right um so uh in this settlement they have uh which is like kind of on the side of a mountain um mm-hmm. They've basically like wiped out the forest on their side of the mountain. Yeah. Um, not only to uh, get iron rich sand that's under the forest, but also because uh, like older iron working techniques require huge amounts of charcoal. Mm-hmm. They, it says in the movie they run the forge for like they run it in four day shifts or something like that. Something like that. Yeah. Um, so they need huge amounts of charcoal. Yeah. To uh, to power the bellows. Yeah. Um. And, uh, yeah, so they actually, they fight off these creatures that are attempting to reforest the land. Mm-hmm. Uh, the creatures are called shoujo and, uh, they're actually part of Chinese folklore. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're supposedly creatures with red fur that love to drink <laughs> and are likely based off orangutans. It's <laughs> very likely. Orangutans are very like people. They're lazy and they love to drink. Yeah. So in the movie though, they look yeah. more like gorillas. So, yeah. Um, yeah. not, not quite the same. Yeah. And they talk in slow motion. Yeah. <laughs> Just like Republicans. <laughs> <laughs> um Irontown the the settlement has uh gender equality which and is great. no scarcity which is also great. Although the uh, one thing I noticed is like the the gender equality is almost just like um like an inversion of hierarchy so like the women right. kind of treat the men like shit. Well, I was going to say it's like you said uh it's like you know an iron town run by a white feminist yeah, you know yeah, it's like exactly. instead of men being in charge we're in charge yeah, we they overperform treat everybody else like shit. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Yeah yeah. Um, yeah. we just adopted toxic masculinity instead of overthrowing it. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And, uh, I mean, there's, so, there's some other like positive things about it. Like, uh, I think they were implying that a lot of the women that were there were like sex workers before. Yeah. There, it's which like, is like, it's all good great, and bad, you know, cause it's like, I mean, we don't want to demonize sex work, but also mm-hmm. like you didn't want to be in a Japanese brothel in the 16th century. I don't think it seems right. like it would be bad. seems a bad idea. Since a lot of yeah. those people were sold into slavery yeah. often by their parents. Yeah. Typically they came from peasant class. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. And, uh, no power and, over their destiny. Yeah. And, yeah. and the women mentioned like, you know, we actually can like eat our fill instead yeah. of being like constantly starving. Yeah. Yeah. Um, they also, um, take in a bunch of lepers. Mm-hmm. So like, you mm-hmm. know, obviously we don't have leprosy is, as a major issue now, but right. back then there were leper colonies where like they were just kept completely separate from society yeah. and yeah. basically starved of, you know, resources and contact with civilization. But yeah. um, in Irontown, um, she has them like somewhat separate because they're still, they still have a contagious disease, but yeah. um, you know, they're part of society and yeah. they are actually She's the like, blacksmiths. Yeah, you're, you know, you're cool. You're chill. Yeah. We'll feed you. It's fine. So they're, yeah. they're the ones that are making the Ashibia. Yep. Um, yep. And uh, yeah. So uh, on the other side is San, who is the only human on that side. Uh, she fights for the forest, mm-hmm. uh, which all non-human life depends on. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And that's symbolized by the fact that 
uh, she was raised by wolves and yep. is the wolf princess. Yeah. And she was one of those kind of classic fairy tale, like, I was abandoned in the woods yes. and the wolves took care of me because wolves are wolves. They're interesting like yeah, that. Yeah, I think her parents were actually killed by a forest lord. For, oh, really? Yeah. I, I couldn't remember if that was Yeah, the I think they say, they say like, um, she was from a village that was destroying the forest or something like that. Mm-hmm. And so her parents... Okay were killed but they mm-hmm. they spared son mm-hmm. okay um yeah uh i don't have a whole lot of other stuff other than there's like a ton of magical realism in it uh like uh magic is in like shinto mm-hmm. magic mm-hmm. uh including the four swords obviously and uh kodama which are like a famous japanese spirit um mm-hmm. which uh i think it's really funny that uh, when you see the Kodama running away, like, winning, winning, they winning. have they have little asses. <laughs> yeah, right. Little <laughs> so butt <cute>. cheeks. <laughs> they got little little spirits with butt cheeks. Let's... Yeah, yeah. Um, I also think it's funny that the the main Ironworks building looks like one of the corporate headquarters pyramids from Blade Runner. <laughs> <laughs> right. And my, uh, my my one little note is that like it's. Like it's a gross oversimplification on my part, but like, yeah, like large pyramidal structures seem to be common indicators of like civil or hierarchy, and so like I think that it was kind of a a visual signal that like this outpost iron forge yeah. village was still very very clearly um, a symbol of like the incursion of civilization yeah you know it was like no it's it's not just any old village sitting out in the middle of nowhere this is a fucking thing it's a proto-state exactly yeah. exactly um yeah i mean i think if if eboshi had her way she would have been like a full state and like probably taken well, oh she, yeah she said she, she wanted to rule the world actually yeah, exactly so, she, she she was all about that yeah yeah uh, if if they made this into a live action American movie, they would probably have like Brie Larson play or something like exactly, that. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> or yeah. fucking Gal Gadot. Right, right. <laughs> and you'd be like, hell yeah! And you'd be like, oh shit! Actually, no. Yeah, we don't want any of that. Who would they cast as Son? Dude, I mean, these days, fuck, I don't know. Um, what's her name from Broad City or something like that? <laughs> yeah, right, right. Like somebody, somebody young and Jenny extremely Slate. fit. Yeah, because like she'd have to be oh, extremely you know, fit because she's like Anne Prim yeah. and, and and like That's a survivalist true. and a wolf. She's yeah. basically a wolf. Yeah. with a human body. She is the most badass fighter. So in the movie, she would I think. be like extremely savage. Yeah, yeah. So somebody like very athletic-ish, um, and 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 you also know what? They would probably like just go with ScarJo. Story. Yeah, yeah. Possibly. Yeah. Um, <laughs> or uh, the wolf girl from Glow. Have you watched oh. that? <laughs> yeah, I mean, that would be hilarious. She's basically and appropriate. <laughs> yeah, yeah. She's not as pretty as Son, but you know. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I would expect like more muscularity. Like get her to like do some, you know, do some benches or something. Yeah, no, no, do no, some no. squats. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um. So yeah, overall, uh, ten out of ten movie. I would Absolutely. say. Absolutely. Yeah, and there's lots more to to dissect. Like we just we just covered like the basics of it. Yeah. Like you know, if you haven't seen it, watch it and like digest it, and then watch it again. Yeah. Yeah, because it's a great movie. Yeah. Yeah. Um. So the other one that we're going to talk about is uh, Nausicaa, mm-hmm. which uh, mm-hmm. I have less on this because I, I I started watching it this morning and I didn't have time to finish it. So yeah. Um. Hopefully you have some stuff, but um. The the plot summary i guess Mm -hmm. um so uh industrial civilization collapses 
mm-hmm. a thousand years afterward, uh, there's a toxic swamp called the Sea of Decay mm-hmm. taking over the planet mm-hmm. um, and destroying the remains of civilization and the people still cowering in them. Yep. Uh, all the trees on Earth have been replaced with uh, mega scale fungi, symbolizing the decay taking place. Mm hmm. And uh, the dominant species is an insect about as big as a ferry boat called a Om or Omu, mm-hmm. um, which fortunately we know this won't happen since all the insects are going to be extinct <laughs> in 80 years. Right. Hooray. Uh, which is really Hooray. good, actually. Yeah. I think it's great. So good. Um, uh, so Nausicaa or Nausicaa, uh, she is the main character. She lives in the Valley of the Wind, which is an mm-hmm. agrarian village safe from the Sea of Decay. Mm-hmm. Uh, so one of the few remaining states in the world, uh, Tolmechia, mm-hmm. invades and enslaves the Valley of the Wind and goes on basically a revanchist mission to burn the Sea of Decay and return humans to their rightful place of dominance. Yep. Um, so I didn't get through the rest of the movie and I, I've actually only seen it like three times maybe, so I don't remember it. Super yeah, well. so I just I just watched it, which uh, rewatched this movie uh, a couple days ago and um yeah it was it was great i mean oh it's also miyazaki's first movie i think yeah made in 1984 yeah so i read uh, it's apparently it's it's miyazaki's first movie and it's actually pre-studio ghibli yeah and so it's technically not a studio ghibli movie but it's a miyazaki movie yeah um but it like kind of you know shows like what the guy's made of yeah right off the bat um, it has all his all his usual signatures in it oh yeah absolutely yeah um so you know like motherfucker loves female main characters i was just gonna say <laughs> like the whole strong female character yeah but like strong female character who isn't just like a battle axe all the time you know he's got those yeah in not, some stories not a boy in drag basically. right exactly yeah. yeah and and not like a fucking uh he's you know, surprisingly psycho. good at making female characters for a yeah. Man. yeah 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 I would say if you're a man and you're trying to write female characters, he is the, your your he's, role he's, model. He's the fucking mentor. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, so yeah, so let's see. I mean, there's a lot to cover with with Nausicaa. Like, it's really, really great. Um, I mean, I kind of want to watch it all over again myself right now. Yeah. Um, like, I, I always use a, a screen from that as the banner for my site. Yeah. Like yeah. if you look at the, the top the, the, of, the of our website, and everything. neighborsciencepodcast.com. Exactly. Yeah. When I when I first saw that, it's I was the valley like, of the wind. <laughs> yeah, when I first like when you showed me the site for the podcast before I even was part of this podcast, I was like, oh, that's from Nashka. Yeah, you know, like oh, sh- <laughs> cool, you know. Um, so this guy knows his shit, you know. Um, but yeah, so so um, this is another story about uh, the imbalance between nature and like human civilization. Yes, but this is a like far flung post apocalyptic story where it's not like it's you long know, after exactly. Princess Mononoke happened. <laughs> exactly exactly. Like lots of stories in the post apocalyptic genre are like, oh, 10, 20, maybe fifty, maybe a hundred years after. Yeah. Right? After the big turn. This is a thousand years after industrial society is alleged to have collapsed. Yep. Um what's interesting is that they still have certain what we would call industrial uh, things, such yeah, as it's very steampunky. Yeah, it's very steampunk. There's like jet engines. Yeah, like miniature and this is when jets. Steampunk was cool and not for nerds. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> um, so they've got like you know uh, gliders and and other shit powered by like mini jets, but they also have these um, like steam powered guns and yeah, stuff. steam powered guns and like raggedy preserved uh, bomber. Uh, uh, bomber super fortress bombers exactly yeah. super fortresses and stuff um but then they also have like 
like really old school windmills and um, uh, canals and, and orchards and Which, shit. Which, by the way, uh, mm. windmills were not uh, replaced by powered mills until like 1940. Oh, yeah. Windmills and water water mills. Like, that's how efficient they are. Yeah, they're, they're just like super useful, you know? Yeah. Like, what the fuck else? Like, we should go to back to those. Yeah, oh, I agree. I agree. Yeah. And so, like, you see that in in this world, um, and what was really interesting is that Nausicaa, um, this this princess of this like little kingdom, which is like, and the kingdom is probably like several hundred people, honestly. Yeah. Based on what you're seeing in the in the animation, um, but when she's exploring like the Sea of Decay, which is this like toxic jungle and stuff, like. She's running around like looking for samples and stuff and all yeah. this kind of stuff because she's like uh, she's a, she's a nerd she's a scientist she's yep. a she's an adventurer she's an ecologist yeah she's an ecologist basically yeah. and um in the very like second or third scene she notices something and she's like running through the jungle to find it and she like bounces onto one of these giant bugs which like to us in our world are like disgusting and horrifying, yeah. right? This is one of the interesting things about the movie is like you start off and you're like, oh fuck, like what a world they live in. What, yeah. what an awful Everything's thing. a giant swamp. Yeah, it's a giant Everything's swamp. Everything's giant There's mushrooms just, and yeah, shit. Yeah, giant mushrooms, giant bugs. Giant bugs, Everything's yeah. horrifying. Everything's gross. Yeah. It's, 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 it's really scary in a way. Yeah. And um, you're like, oh. Like we're all afraid to even like touch an insect. Yeah, exactly. Even, even like the dry ones, like beetles yeah. and stuff. Yeah. <laughs> and she kind of just like, like, She's like running off of some old plant and she just bounces off this bug. Um, and then she turns and she apologizes to the bug as she's running like, yeah. Oh, sorry. Yeah. <laughs> you know, as if it's just like an old friend. Like a guy walking down the street. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. And I was like, that's kind of, that's really interesting. Like it's, that's an indicator of like how she feels about the living things. Yeah. You know? And then that's like a theme in the story. She's read book chin. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> she, she is the book chin. Yeah. Of the future. Um, <laughs> And then she, I mean, like this story in particular, which is one of the things that uh, contra- contrasts with uh, Mononoke, uh, Nausicaa and San are very different, even though they have many of the same values. Right? Yep. Nausicaa lives in this like far flung sort of like post nuclear, post pollution future where it's just spores, like toxic spores and bugs and weird shit. Um, and human beings are just hanging on and she's like adventuring and she's joyful and she's curious and she believes in human society mm-hmm. in a way in like in like a limited way um but she's also really into the balance right in princess mononoke like san is what raised by wolves she fucking like hates humans she says she's that on at least, team forest exactly she's <laughs> on team forest she hates humans she says that at least once or twice yeah um, she wants them to die yep. even though she is biologically one of the true primitivists. Yeah. She's a true <laughs> primitivist, right? She's not an she's ecologist. A <laughs> yeah. Yeah. She's not an ecologist. She's not a researcher. She's not a nerd. She is a fucking survivalist and she drinks blood. Yeah. Like she literally drinks blood. Literally will. She will fuck you up. Right. <laughs> that's, that's a, that's actually the first time you see her. Is yeah. She's drinking blood. Yeah. She's from, basically slurping the blood out of yeah. her, what her mother or her yeah, sister poison. I think it's supposed to, to be poison blood. Yeah. To, yeah take it out yeah and then she's like and she turns around blood. and spits it yeah. yeah and you're like okay so you're like deep in with the earth yeah right um but they 
and and she doesn't believe in a balance. She believes in nature conquering humans. Yeah, right. Which is really interesting. Not totally wrong. Right. Yeah. Not totally wrong. Like, I'm I'm kind of into that. You know, but I'm not an Anprim. Um. Yeah. And so like now we should solve insulin. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Nausicaa would create insulin for you. Yes. If she could, San would be like fuck you. Yeah. But what's interesting is that Mononoke, uh, Princess of Mononoke, which is kind of this metaphorical title for San, which is like the princess of, uh, was it the princess of critters, basically? It's like uh, Mononoke is sort of, it's a, tr- I think it's a term that's really hard to translate. It's really hard to translate. Because it means yeah. like, um, sp- like sort of spirits, but also like nothing. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. it's. It's just too hard to translate. It's a tough one, yeah. It's, yeah. it's very conservative. We'll never comprehend it tr- fully. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> These inscrutable terms. Yeah. Um, so yeah. So so San is is this kind of princess of the of the forest, if you will. Um, versus uh, Nausicaa is this princess of of human beings, like yeah. surviving human beings, but um, she's the one who represents somebody who seeks balance. And somebody who doesn't want to kill. Right. And somebody who doesn't want conflict. Whereas San is like a forest supremacist. Yeah. Basically. Um, oh, and by like, the way, they're both Disney princesses. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> Actually, they're the only Disney princesses in my mind. Um, <laughs> and so um, so San is a, is a forest supremacist. And in her story, Iboshi is a Civ supremacist. Yes. Right. But yeah. like a sort of white feminist, if you will. She's very open about wanting to exactly. destroy nature. And yeah. Her agenda is very clear. Yeah. Yeah. And systematic. Yes. Which is like, you know, nature is just resources, basically. Right. So it's like proto-capitalist in a way, or like imperialist. And the Tolmechians, I think, as well, are yes. trying Tolmechians to dominate everything. are like, everything. fuck it. Like, you know, humans should be supreme like they used to be. Yeah. And this is, again... They're like already... They're already fighting a war against some other civilization. I don't know if they mm-hmm. have that in the movie, but it's... I was looking at the wiki while I was like watching yeah, the movie so, and they so have, there's like a manga version for of listeners. The story. We're back on Nausicaa. Yeah. So Tolmachians or Tolmachians, um, that is a, like a, a state of some kind in the Nausicaa world. They're the revanchist guys. Exactly. Yeah. They, they are and revanchist gals. Right. Exactly. Yeah. They're ruled by another princess who is like the opposite of Nausicaa. Yeah. They do have an emperor, but he's never seen in the right, anime. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Their princess is really the operative. There's one panel of him in the manga. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, and she's got like huge armor, and like she actually looks and huge very, cans, huge cans <laughs> under the huge armor, and <laughs> and she basically looks like if Nausicaa uh, was wearing a bunch of armor, actually. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I found that very interesting, where visually they're very similar, um, yeah, except for their costume. Um, and yeah, so, so, so in that movie, in that world, you know, Nausicaa is looking for kind of a balance and she's looking for empathy and peace and uh, not necessarily cooperation, but like mutual respect. Yeah. Like, um, one of the first scenes is, um, what is the guy's name? Lord Yupa. Lord Yupa. Yupa. Yeah. Yeah. So he's being chased by one of the Omu. Right. And, um, so instead of like into it instead of like attacking it or whatever Mm -hmm. she nausicaa stuns it and then like uh uses this like insect charm to calm it down and like send it on its way yeah it's like a whistle that she uses and it's like oh it's a frequency that they like and it's soothed and yeah yeah, and just goes away yeah yeah and then uh another part is like in 
like a flashback to her childhood. She was actually like playing with a baby Ohm. Yep. And yep. the villagers had to be like, uh, we're not having that fucking thing here. Right. <laughs> right. Because to them it was a, it was a marauder. It was an encroacher. Yeah. 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 And that was a, a hugely formative memory for her as a character. Like where she's like, Oh, I just wanted to be friends with these creatures who we consider menacing traditionally, but it's not hurting me right now. Yeah. Right. And you, you see that she's actually willing to undergo some level of harm and eventually a great deal of harm in order to maintain a balance between living organisms. Yeah. And that's a huge part of the story. Um, whereas the representatives of these two other States, which are at war with each other and that are trying to use her, civilization as kind of a proxy yeah they're all willing to throw anyone under the bus yeah including their own people i mean they're they literally like, like roll into the valley of the wind and enslave everyone yeah they're just enslaving everybody they're destroying yeah. everything they're letting horrible invasive species into the environment yep. intentionally just to undermine them yeah and they just, want to burn just for the like whole a small bit of leverage down. exactly yeah and then they're like trying to resurrect an ancient weapon in yeah, order the, just the, in order to like defeat other living things right, right? yeah so, the uh the baba character the old yeah, lady of yeah. the village mentions that uh many people have tried to burn down the sea of decay before mm-hmm. and what happens is it's huge massive swarms of ohm yep. just cover the earth and yep. destroy everyone yep so exactly because they like react to the violence yeah and they freak out and they just destroy everything yeah yep. and uh on the subject of that the ancient weapon mm-hmm. um i wasn't totally clear on it but it it seems like the in the history of the story the thing that actually destroyed civilization was those weapons rampaging. Yes. So I think that's kind of a holdover of the post great war. Yep. Um, which is war is going to be the thing that creates the downfall of civilization. Right. But at the same time, um, as we find out in the story, the reason that the sea of decay is toxic is actually because of the, the sands, the mm-hmm. soil and the water yep. uh, is heavily polluted. Yep. And uh, Nausicaa actually has a greenhouse where yeah. she has uh, a lot of the plants or a lot of the fungi rather from the sea mm-hmm. of decay and they're mm-hmm. completely harmless. Yeah. Yeah. And she actually has this really great line in like the middle of the movie where uh-huh. she's explaining all this to, I think Lord Yupa and, and he's like, wait, so you figured this out. Like, it's like he kind of knew uh-huh. for maybe from his travels or something and she's like, yeah, it's just that like there's like deep, deep wells underground and everything else that's clean. Yeah. And we, and we can water things and everything like that. And he's like, oh, shit. Um, so you, you figured this out. Okay, that's cool. Um, all on your own? Like, does anybody else know about this? And and she's like, no, it's just me, but I'm kind of like I'm depressed. I'm, I'm despairing and all this kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. And then and then she uh, she has this random line as they're talking where she's like, it's almost as if like the the earth itself is not poison but like somebody in the past poisoned the entire earth yeah and she's like but that's ridiculous who the hell would do that yeah and i was like <laughs> god damn it you know? <laughs> and it's like this movie came out in the mid 80s yeah right? this movie is one year older than i am yeah <laughs> right and this guy was already like so the earth we're poisoning and killing it. You yeah. Know? Like, so and it was only what, five years after silent spring. I think was that 79. So yeah, yeah. Yeah. So it's like, Oh shit. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I wonder if it was even translated into Japanese at that point. Well, 
Probably in some form, yeah, yeah. or some version or some expert excerpt. Yeah. Excuse me. I mean, I'm sure Rachel Carson wasn't the first person to think like, hmm, well, maybe sure, polluting right. everything is bad. <laughs> right, right, right. Yeah, maybe we shouldn't Agent Orange everything. Yeah, exactly. So, um, uh, what else? There was, um, yeah. So, one another thing that was interesting about the ancient weapon, the what are the, what are they called? The giant warrior, or whatever they called it. Yeah, was that I don't remember the ancient weapon. <clears throat> which they then tried to resurrect, as I mentioned, was an interesting combination of, it was like a bio mech. Uh-huh. Um, it was like when, when, when they tried to resurrect it in the, in the time of Nausicaa, you know, toward the end of the movie, um, they kind of fucked up because they didn't know what they were doing. They were just like, well, we got one and yeah. we can like, you know, we can restart it. Flip the on switch. Yeah. Now. Just flip the on switch <laughs> and see what happens. Yeah. Um, and it was like, Literally, like it was like fresh born and like already melting because they had no technology to like upkeep it or something. Oh, I see. So you saw that it was like, oh, it was like basically a giant flesh Evangelion. Oh, okay. Right? And you're like, this is terrifying and disgusting. You're yeah. like really horrified, like body horror level horrified. And then, but then when like they got it to attack the, the attacking ohm at the very end, uh-huh. it had this weird like laser beam that would cause a nuclear explosion on contact oh, okay. and so it was like a bio-nuclear evangelion multiple yeah. combination weapon so that, that also brings in the whole post-war japanese fear it, of nuclear attack exactly yeah. exactly you got the nuclear attack you've got yeah, the other thing was those they said that those machines wiped out like all of civilization in like six days more or, or less yeah exactly yeah. and there was like only exactly a few like hangers on Yep. So that yep. must have been the real thing was like it was a metaphor for nuclear conflict. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. And so especially in 1984. Yeah. Yeah. you just like, okay, yeah. So they're, they're like nukes are scary and yeah. bad and they shouldn't exist. Yep. Um, but in this kind of anime way, they're like, what if it was like a giant walking thing? Yeah. With a humanoid sort of feature wow extreme leftists excluding nuclear power from the <laughs> future right. of the green new deal right jeez right. <laughs> what if we instead we created nuclear power what <laughs> um yeah so 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 it was interesting because there was a kind of a, a subtle sort of subtextual con- uh, critique of uh, just weapons technology yeah where it's like oh like biotech with nuclear capacities and like you know, even the, you know, like even these greedy motherfuckers who don't even understand the technology they're trying to use in the, in the far future, will try to fucking use it against nature itself because yeah. they're just scared and angry. Yeah. Um, which is kind of, it reminds me like there were some parallels between that and Mononoke, um, where there was like the, obviously there's the gunpowder side of yep. the, of the warfare. Um, but also the Ohm and the, the Ohm in Nausicaa and the boars in Mononoke. Oh yeah. Do similar things. They yep. like, they swarm, they freak out, yep. but the boars are mammalian. They can't be soothed. Yeah. Right. Um, they just keep but, going. But also they, they're intelligent enough to talk. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. And so they're, they've got this other balance. Yep where they can they can they're yeah they're cognitive they can communicate they can say yeah. things about like this is the narrative this is the problem yeah but then if you get them pissed like they're pig-headed ohm, exactly <laughs> the ohm can be like oh hypnotize and soothe and be like we're cool we're cool it's fine yeah but the boar are like actually we're going to go suicide on you yeah you're going to blow us up as much as you want but we'll literally like thousands of us will die and we'll cover the fucking field yeah and that's like 
you know, two thirds through that movie, there's people being dragged out from under the boar carcasses, which by the way, ties back to a lot of um, what influenced Kurosawa, right? The other great Japanese filmmaker, Uh because he, uh, a big part of the influence on him and his filmmaking um, and then like his realism and his like um, kind of objective eye on violence and everything uh-huh. was that he was a kid during the World War II, like like the bombings of Tokyo and everything. Okay. And his older brother would take him and say, look, and like force him to look and observe like the carnage and the death and the burning wow. and the wreckage and everything. And so he had a, an extremely like photographically realistic understanding uh-huh. of what death and destruction look like. And Damn. so, yeah. So when Kurosawa made films after that, um, he, uh, he basically Put his nightmares onto yeah, paper. He, he knew how to make it look, you know? Yeah. And, and so, um, and so I think that, uh, Miyazaki was also feeding on a kind of strain like that where yeah. he's like in the, in the war, uh, I think he was scenes. Of, I think he was like aware yeah. when he when the war was happening yeah he's pretty he's, old he's pretty old he's, yeah yeah and so um yeah so so you know in his in his animations um there was a sense of realism you know where it's like people are being buried under things people are being brutalized yeah. by things um in a way that is extremely carnal you know and concrete and yeah. and very like real yeah um but at the same time, like that, that kind of encourages like empathy and pity as opposed to just like, dis- like, like spite and contempt. Yeah. You know, um, which I think is really important in Miyazaki's work is like, he's very, very invested in empathy and caring. Yes. Um, and, and obviously ecology goes with that. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah. I mean the heroes of his movies, I'm, tr- I'm trying to think of all of them. They almost never overcome the the main conflict by right. like killing the other person exactly. or like they, beating them in a battle they, or anything yeah, they, like that. They don't just like, they don't just like punch a hole in whatever the fuck the problem is. Yeah. They, uh, they it's always like try to understand it. Yeah. They, they like, figure out what they on? want and then yeah. like try it, like either fulfill their interests in a way mm-hmm. that helps everyone or, yep. Um, like in Spirited Away, I think he basically like tricks you, Baba, right into yep. letting her go free. Yeah, but it's not like <laughs> it's not like she beats up an old lady. Yeah, there's, you know? yeah, there's no like yeah, 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 which I like, and like that's something like you know just to continuously plug my own writing. Like that's something that I really try to learn from. Yeah, you know, because I'm I'm a Western writer, if you will. Yeah, but with a lot of Asian influences and like Miyazaki, like Princess Mononoke was hugely influential for me uh-huh um and nausicaa to some extent but like mononoke really and so you know moving forward with my own creative work uh, i've just been like wow like that's a really fresh and good wholesome like even though it's violent it's wholesome uh-huh. way to um look at conflict and yeah. like understand problems and how we can move beyond them yeah you know? um Prince, like Princess Mononoke is kind of an exception, but all of his other mm-hmm. movies are like like family friendly movies. Yeah, yeah. When I looked up Mononoke uh, earlier for like some like review material just uh-huh. to like check it out, um, and and like I, I added some links into our notes here um, for people to just kind of glance at. Um, I you know I found various perspectives on it, but I also found like a bunch of 
different links in the first like in the first page results that were just like you know is princess mononoke family friendly is it child friendly yeah and it was like a bunch of people who were saying like unlike his other movies it's kind of not that child friendly because yeah. it's a lot darker it's a lot more intense it's kind of scary the first time i watched it i think i was like 13 yeah and i rented it from blockbuster right and uh you're like oh that, shit yeah that scene early in the movie where yep. he like fires the arrow that yep. decapitates a guy yep. that like disturbed me yeah, so like, much holy shit i don't think i'd ever seen a decapitation yeah. on screen before and yeah. i was just like yeah what the fuck am i watching <laughs> yeah yeah i think yeah. my mom was there too and was like like oh, at the same what? time as being yeah. like what the fuck yeah. are you watching this was a fairy tale and you're like well we're gonna see yeah yeah yeah, yeah. And I mean, that was like expressive of like the, the rage that he was cursed with, yeah. right? Like the rage that equipped him with the power to do a terrible thing to a human being, yeah. right? And as far as decapitations go, not that bad, really. Not that bad. Yeah. I mean, like the guy was just gone in an instant. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. You got anything else? I don't know. I mean, like if if you guys like the Green New Deal or what it represents, you should probably watch those two movies, Nausicaa and Princess Mononoke. And yeah, just like just sure. check it out. Like con- compare, contrast. Just enjoy what it's about. Yeah. Like, understand. Like I think the Valley of the Wind is a a pretty good idealization of what society might look like. Yeah. In, yeah. In an like we might have future. more tech, we might have less tech, but it's yeah. like a great model. Like they do but rest have... assured there will be a giant swamp trying to kill everyone. <laughs> right. Exactly. <laughs> Within like three years. It might not be now. dominated by yeah. insects yeah. necessarily. <laughs> more likely invisible bacteria that just kill you without you even knowing. Yeah, but... exactly. They're just going to sneak right in. <laughs> um, yeah. So green new deal. Good. Miyazaki. Yep. Good. Yep. Uh, full communism. Good awesome uh jonathan chait bad bad Noah terrible. Smith, bad yeah pathetic <laughs> mediocre yeah uh non-binding resolutions bad 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 <laughs> um yeah so if you enjoyed that uh check out our other episodes um we we have extensive show notes for this including the full text yep. of the green new deal lots and lots uh in a much easier to read format than mm-hmm. uh what is available online mm-hmm. so i'll link that in the show description mm-hmm. um as I mentioned before, our website is neighborsciencepodcast.com. Mm-hmm. Um, I am at handle of Rye on Twitter. Mm-hmm. Uh, Chris is at solidarity underscore goth. Um, our Twitter account, because of character limits, is at neighborsci-pod. But at yep. everything on everything else, it's neighborscience. Uh, we have Facebook, Instagram, Patreon. Um, I think that's it. I have a Twitch stream that I do. I have been streaming on infrequently. It's... Uh, twitch tv slash drunky d luffy um i've been using it to watch anime although uh last one i tried to watch the new season of mob psycho 100 and uh i got through one episode and then Crunchyroll started having problems ah. so i played the new subnautica instead nice uh, yeah so check that out if you ever see me online um <laughs> and uh oh what's your uh what's your book information What's your book stuff information? My series? Yeah. Okay. So, okay. So I've been working on this fantasy series for a long time and I self-published the, the book one out of six in the series in three parts. Uh, But the series is called the dream of the white stag. It's on Amazon. My first name is Christopher K R I S T O F E R. Last name is Nivens N I V E N S. So if you Google any of those things in combination, you should probably be able to bring it up. I'm also trying to start a Patreon at some point to serialize the remainder of the series 
um, and to add some world building fun, yep. you know, some various fragments and some mystery. Um, so if anybody's into world building fantasy, dark fantasy, epic fantasy, political fantasy, that's what I do. Yep. I'll, uh, I can help you set that up soon. Yeah. Thanks. Man. I've already done it once. Yeah. I appreciate that. Um, yeah. So that was, yeah, that's it. I guess. Bye. Bye. <laughs>